This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's Thursday, January 26th. If a kid told you their classmate had a gun, would you ignore them? We start here. A school superintendent is fired in Virginia after a six-year-old shot his teacher. The administrator downplayed the report from the teacher and the possibility of a gun. Teacher says there were several warnings in the hours leading up to that gunshot. The U.S. said it wasn't sending tanks to Ukraine. That changed in less than a week. I would call this weapons creep. A year into this war, NATO countries are taking a big new step. And prosecutors say these nurses got their diplomas, they just didn't finish nursing school. The standard for safe nursing care, that can't be purchased. It can really only be learned. Why the staffing lists at thousands of healthcare facilities might have to be scrubbed. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Over the last couple days, everyone's attention has been on these mass shootings on the West Coast. Of course, there were a few in California. There was also a man who opened fire on a Circle K in Yakima, Washington, killing three people than himself. And in each of these, the question is, could these have been prevented? Uh, we did not have a, a situation where someone was going around the school shooting. We have uh, a situation in, in one particular location where a gunshot was fired. Well, you might remember earlier this month, we kind of reached a new low in the town of Newport News, Virginia, when a six-year-old boy brought a gun to school and shot his teacher. When they entered the room, they found a, a six-year-old child that was being physically restrained by a school employee. The child became a little combative, actually struck the school employee that was restraining him, and officers then took control of him and escorted him out of the building. This was not like an accidental discharge or something. He didn't think this was a toy. It appeared deliberate, although how much does a kid even understand when they're in that situation? But yesterday, a lawyer for the teacher who had been shot said there's no question at all about whether this could have been prevented. Some shocking allegations made here in a town that is very much on edge. ABC's Beatrice Peterson's been covering all this since the story broke two weeks ago. In fact, she's outside where they had the school board meeting last night. Beatrice, what did we learn yesterday? So here in Newport News, we heard from the attorney for Abby Zwerner, the 25-year-old teacher who was shot mid-instruction by her student. The lawyer claims throughout the day there were multiple warnings for school officials at Rich Neck Elementary School that could have prevented this horrible tragedy where a six-year-old pulls out a gun and shoots a teacher in the middle of the classroom. Three times. School administration was warned by concerned teachers and employees that the boy had a gun on him at the school and was threatening people. The lawyer alleges the first warning came from Abby herself, where she warned school administrators that the six-year-old student had threatened to beat up another child that same day. But the school administration could not be bothered. The lawyer claims the next warning came from a teacher who actually searched the six-year-old's backpack for a gun. She didn't find it, but she allegedly told the school administrator that the boy put the gun in his pocket before going outside to recess. The administrator downplayed the report from the teacher and the possibility of a gun, saying, and I quote, well, he has little pockets. 
Later in the day, a third teacher allegedly told the administrator another boy was crying and fearful, alleging that the six-year-old student had showed him the gun at recess and threatened to shoot him if he told anybody. Did administrators call the police? No. Did administrators lock down the school? No. The lawyer alleges the last incident happened after a school employee asked administrators to search the boy. They were told allegedly by administrators that the day was almost over and they should wait the situation out. Within an hour, Abby Zorner had been shot in her classroom in the middle of her instruction. This morning, I sent notice to the Newport News School Board of the intent to file a lawsuit on Abby's behalf. This should have never happened. It was preventable. Wait, so Beatrice, like, the warning signs, if they're all there, if this, like, if these allegations are correct, how could they possibly be ignored? Because also, like, this kid does not sound like he was unknown to school authorities before that day, right? Yeah, that's what's so confusing here. The parents put out a statement and it added more questions and answers. Um, they did actually reveal that the student had a acute disability and he was under a care plan, which involved the parents coming to class with him every single day. They revealed in the statement they were unable to come to school with him that week. And they say that's a memory that they will never forget the fact that they weren't there during such a tragic incident. However, something that's really interesting about this, Brad, is that we've spoken to a number of the parents of some of the students that were in the classroom. Uh, some of them say that they were not aware of the parents having to be in the classroom every day. So it's uncertain when this exactly took place. Were they there every day or certain days? There's just so many different questions we still need answers to, and we just have to wait, I guess, to find out more. What has been the reaction among other families in the school district? Like, I can't imagine what would be going through my mind if my kid is going to the school where a, a six-year-old is shooting a teacher. There's a lot of reactions in the community. I've spoken to parents, teachers, union leaders. And one of the sentiments is that there needs to be change at Richneck Elementary School. I send my kids to school and find myself praying to God that they will return home safely. Our teachers and staff have a right to attend schools that are safe and conducive to their ability to do their job without worry of physical or verbal assault. They say that a lot of the warnings have fallen on, onto deaf ears. Some parents, Brad, have told me they're not bringing their kids back to Richneck, that they're going to look at homeschooling their kid or transferring their kids to another school. She's six. <laughs> She's terrified because the person that was advocating for her got hurt. Madam Clerk, please take the roll. The school board Newport News held a special meeting last night in Newport News and the school board voted to oust the superintendent. And out of this tragedy, we need to see opportunity. A lot of parents and teachers had been calling for change, and for some of them, that's the change they were looking for. The school hasn't said very much. They are currently conducting their own personal investigation outside of the investigation that the police department is doing in Newport News, trying to figure out what happened at Richneck, what warning signs were missed, and what they could be doing better in the future. Just unbelievably tragic. The family of the six-year-old says through a lawyer, by the way, that that gun was secured in a closet on the top shelf with a trigger lock. We also now know it was legally purchased. Beatrice Peterson, right outside where they had that school board meeting overnight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Next up on Start Here, nothing gets you through a Ukrainian winter like a German tank. Why the U.S. could be the reason for a big turnaround after the break. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more, or I'd read a book, or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. For the last year, President Biden has had to perform this balancing act on how intertwined the U.S. wants to be with the war in Ukraine. Last May, we were told the U.S. would not give Ukraine these advanced Patriot missiles. Well, recently, we sent Patriot missiles. Ukrainians asked for battalions worth of tanks. Just days ago, the White House said that wasn't going to happen. It just doesn't make sense to provide that to the Ukrainians at this moment. Well, now that's also changed. The United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine. The equivalent of one Ukrainian battalion. And what makes this even more notable, perhaps, is we're not the only country sending them. ABC's chief global affairs correspondent Martha Raditz is here. Martha, first off, can you just explain what these tanks are and sort of what they bring to the battlefield? They're significant, Brad, because they're basically so much better than the Soviet-era tanks. So that will give the Ukrainians an advantage. They're, they have more defenses on them. They have more firepower. They have more range. It's really something that President Zelensky was desperate to get his hands on. Right. And so you got these Abrams tanks. Those are the ones the U.S. has. You've also now got these tanks coming over from Germany, these Leopard tanks. In fact, it seems like they're going to become operational in Ukraine sooner than ours. Does this end up being like a major policy shift from each of these countries? It, it, it is, because we've heard for weeks the Pentagon saying, look, they're just too complicated. It's more of a sustainment issue. I mean, this is a tank that is um, 
requires jet fuel, whereas the Leopard and the um, the Challenger, uh, it's a different engine. They require diesel. They run on jet fuel. It's too hard to train on these things. So the Pentagon was really pushing back on sending the Abrams tanks, the American tanks. But the State Department and the White House basically said, look, Germany needs cover. They don't like to use that word. They don't like to say, oh, we gave them cover. But in a sense, they did. Did Germany force you to change your mind on sending tanks? Germany didn't force me to change your mind. We wanted to make sure we were all together. That's what we're going to do all along. Germany didn't want to be the only one saying, okay, we're going to send our Leopard 2 tanks and allow the countries who have the allies, who have those Leopard 2 tanks, to send them to Ukraine, just us. They really wanted the U.S. to be in on this, to send some Abrams tanks. And if, like you said, the Germans were super skittish, a lot of European countries have been skittish about getting involved here, what does this moment mean for the broader war effort? Well, I I think, you know, I look at this and and I've covered conflict for so many years, Brad, and and I always have my red flag up for what they call mission creep. You know, Mm. you start out one thing, you start out as a humanitarian mission, and then you go into this. Look, we've been uh, fully involved in many ways since the beginning, but I would call this weapons creep. (laughs) We decide we're not going to send something, and then things advance, and okay, maybe we will send those weapons. So I think the question is, what next? Uh, Do you send those fighter aircraft that they've wanted for, for a very long time? But they hear the call from the Ukrainians. They want to help the Ukrainians. We've given billions and billions and billions of dollars, but we keep adding the types of weapons that originally we said, "Ah, maybe not such a good idea. Now, one of the reasons they are saying that is I think the fear all along was that Putin would react to that as an escalation. That if the U.S. Especially for the NATO countries, right? These European countries. Exactly. The NATO countries, the U.S., how will Putin react to this? Well, he hasn't really done anything. He's behaving so badly, it's like, what else could he possibly do? That's interesting that if you think all weapons sound alike, like to the Ukrainians and to the Russians and therefore to the Germans and Americans, these weapons are not all created equal. And so this is a big moment here. All right, Martha Raddatz, thanks so much. You bet, Brad. For the last three years, we've seen how in demand nurses can be. Hospitals have had problems hiring enough of them. For patients, nurses are some of the most important people around. They're the people you rely on the most. Well, imagine finding out some of the nurses at your local hospital had never actually earned their accreditation. Over 7,600 fake nursing diplomas were sold from about 2016 to 2022. Yesterday, ABC's Sasha Pesnik broke the news that federal agents have brought down a massive scheme to sell fake nursing credentials, which allegedly resulted in thousands of nurses with fake diplomas around the country. Sasha Pesnik joins us now. What was this alleged scheme? Brad, officials are calling this takedown Operation Nightingale in honor of Florence Nightingale, who was the founder of modern nursing. And it's also a pledge that nurses take, promising to abstain from any deleterious or mischievous acts and do everything in their power to maintain and elevate the standard of their profession. But apparently in this case, authorities say thousands of nurses were paying upwards of ten dollars or $15,000 a pop to take a shortcut. When we entrust the life of an elderly parent to the staff of an assisted living or skilled nurse facility, 
The last thing we want to learn is that the nurses administering the medications, the ones charged with carrying out the doctor's order, took shortcuts on their clinical training. Officials say this scheme was all about skipping steps in essential training, and that could jeopardize patient safety. And they say at the heart of it all was greed. We, unfortunately, lead the nation in healthcare case-related fraud that bleeds away billions from taxpayer dollars and its intended beneficiaries. The chief motivation for this type of crime is almost always greed. This is a massive coordinated scheme to sell fake nursing degree credentials, more than 7,600 fake diplomas and transcripts sold to people who authorities say hadn't earned them. At the very moment where you actually pay someone $15,000, right, there, there is very little doubt that you're doing something that is inappropriate, that is fraudulent. Those bogus documents were allegedly sold to help aspiring nurses bypass really vital steps of the nursing competency and licensure process. So here's how officials say it worked. Recruiters would allegedly help aspiring nurses buy these fake diplomas from a few Florida-based nursing schools. And what these recruiters would do is once the individual had paid, they would contact the school here in Florida and say, please prepare a transcript for them and a uh, certificate. But you don't have to be in Florida to use these diplomas. Nursing candidates would buy these phony documents, which officials say let them avoid hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of clinical training. Really important training, Brad, that sets them up for some of that life-or-death responsibility that nurses might one day handle on the job. Mm. They'd then use those credentials to qualify for the National Nursing Board exam. They still had to take that test, but buying these fake diplomas let them take a huge shortcut. And just so I'm getting this right then, Sasha, this would be like if I'm getting my driver's license as a teenager, but I haven't done all the hours like of car training with my parents or whatever. Like you're not supposed to skip that. That's like a key part of the whole thing. Exactly. And the standard for safe nursing care, that can't be purchased. It can really only be learned. Mm. And so once these people pass the test, they could go get licensed in various states and get hired in the healthcare field with what officials say were unwitting providers throughout the country. doing this for 25 years, and it does uh, shock the mind. All this has now led to charges against more than two dozen individuals across multiple states for helping sell more than $100 million worth of fake diplomas. So authorities are taking aim at what they call this harmful fraud that affects public health, One official I spoke to called it one of the most brazen schemes he had ever seen. Wait, so Sasha, they're charging the people who they say, like, we're running the scheme. Do we know about all the nurses or like accredited nurses that came out of this? Like, are, are do they think there are people walking around right now with like their fake nursing diplomas? It's a great question. So this takedown, Operation Nightingale, it targeted the folks kind of at the top of this alleged scheme, right? So the right. owners, the operators, the employees of these programs, the people who officials say helped facilitate all of this. The whole point basically was stopping more of these bogus diplomas from getting out onto the streets, getting into the hands of, and getting used by people who didn't earn them. The most important thing for us uh, was to make sure, to the extent we're talking about healthcare here, that we stop the bleeding, right? What have you learned when somebody gets a major injury, you stop the bleeding. And the bleeding here is to basically stop those schools from being able to actually uh, put more fraudulent diplomas out. And authorities say those programs are now essentially shut down. But 
Yeah, officials say some of the people who bought these fake diplomas have indeed been practicing nursing in the country, some of them perhaps currently. So to answer your question, authorities say they haven't uncovered any evidence of patient harm stemming from this, but of course say this is this is still a concern. So that's precisely why officials have, from the start of this investigation, say they've been working with the state licensing boards to share as much information as they can, as fast as they can, because, Brad, officials say not only is this a public safety issue, it also tarnishes the reputation of nurses who have worked so hard. While, yes, this is a scheme that is extremely impactful, uh, we, we're not resting on our laurels. Uh, we're going to continue to do all that we can to hold these folks accountable. Federal authorities say, OK, they, they know who these nurses are. They know their names. They've referred those names to the National Council of State Boards of Nursing. They know who it is, but it's up to the state boards now who are responsible to take action against any of these nurses who are under their purview who allegedly participated in the scheme. Well, yeah, and you talk about eroding trust in a system. You've also got people, I mean, people were charged here who help run nursing schools. So then that, that becomes a concern, you'd think, for the broader sort of nursing school industry as well. All right, Sasha Pesnik on this big takedown. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brad. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, you're in the army now. All you need is a buzz cut and a referral code. One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. We live in the age of referrals. If you subscribe to a service, you can get your friend to sign on, and you get your next order for free. It's even more intense for gig workers. You can get your buddy to sign up to be an Uber driver with you, and you'll get huge benefits. Well, apparently, recruiting for the Army is going so badly that promotions will start being influenced by how good you are at networking. Decide to leave as an Army officer. This week, Army Brass unveiled a new policy called the Soldier Referral Program. And in this new system, if a private in good standing convinces someone else to go enlist, that private gets a one-time automatic promotion to the next grade up. That's worth a few thousand bucks salary right there. But say you're really convincing. Say you're really good at bringing along everyone, all the cousins in your family. Well, for each referral who attends basic training, you get this special new ribbon, which gets you 10 points towards more serious promotions down the road. You can get up to four of these ribbons in your career. It's like a merit badge for salesmanship. Live, live, ride, live. Live, live, ride, live. The fact that somebody next to you could suddenly be promoted to specialist or staff sergeant just because they're good at dragging other people along with them tells you how dire the situation has become. The Army brought in 15,000 fewer recruits than it expected last year. We have a lot of young men and women that want to serve. And they can't pass the academic requirements 
or they can't pass the physical requirements. But it also tells you how normalized these referral programs have become more broadly. This idea wasn't just dreamed up by some general. It was suggested by recruits themselves when the Army asked for suggestions. Because even though a career in the armed forces is riskier than signing up for a meal box, in a world of promo codes and multi-level marketing, word of mouth is the ultimate measure of valor. I don't know about you, but like at other places where I worked, when they're desperate to find employees to work with me, like it, we just can't find the people we want to hire. I'm usually like, well, the fact you need me to help you is a red flag about the company I work for. By the way, a lot of you visited our Instagram page for the first time just to see what I thought was an embarrassing photo of me. Some of you guys have said it's not embarrassing enough. I see what you are trying to do, you guys. I'm on to you. We're not continuing this game of me just posting more and more embarrassing photos. You guys start posting those childhood photos of you in sailor suits. I'm done for now, okay? More on all these stories at abcnews.com or the ABC News app. I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. People who disappear without a trace. The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.